Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone. I am so glad you're here. I am Audra Egan, your host of Women in the Arena podcast, where we celebrate women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We have yet another remarkable woman here today that I can't wait for you to meet. Thanks for joining me, and let's start the show. Welcome in, everyone. I am so happy that you're here. I have yet another remarkable woman that I want to introduce you to. She is quite special. She has held numerous senior leadership roles with three of the largest financial institutions in the country. And if that doesn't convince you of how special she is, she's a graduate of Cornell, where she received her degree in animal science, and she has used her education to serve her in her passion. Her passion is within animals, and she has formed a nonprofit organization called HodgePodge Farm and Rescue. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Lauren Koenig. Lauren, please say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And Audra, thank you so much. I am so flattered and humbled to be a participant in this amazing adventure that you have started. So thank you for having me. I am so happy for you to be here. Uh, I love your story. Uh, Before we jump into it, will you please just share just a little snippet about you before we jump in? Sure. Um, I'm a regular middle-aged woman. I'm a mom. I have an autistic son. So when I'm not doing my day job and I'm not doing my animal job, um, I'm also on the board of a nonprofit uh, called Eostis Learning Center that is focused on kids and the autism spectrum. And we put on some camps and do some really cool activities. Um, I'm also a step mom. They'll call you step monster. And I'm okay with that of three amazing girls who we're super, super proud of. I'm a wife. Uh, my also, you know, a huge family of people that I am incredibly fortunate to be related to. Um, I'm the youngest sister of the most perfect man that has ever walked the face of the earth. And he's so perfect. He'd tell you that he wasn't. Uh, so my biggest story is I've spent my life trying to live up to my older brother and, uh, one day I'll catch him. Maybe. Well, I think that you're going to give him a run for your money because uh, you're pretty remarkable. And today we're going to talk about a really interesting topic. And I know that every woman is going to relate to this. As women, we give away pieces of ourselves all the time. On a regular basis, we do it without thinking and we do it gladly. However, Sometimes we give too much of ourselves away and we find ourselves maybe lost, maybe a little empty. And sometimes we have to make a decision that we've given too much away 
and maybe we need to give take some of those pieces back. So Lauren is going to tell us about her story about taking back the pieces of her life. So Lauren, please walk us through. Um, you know, the concept of taking back the pieces, I think, was born in the question of why did I start HodgePodge Farm? And where was that in me to do that? And I initially had always shrugged it off as I'd been in love with animals as long as I can remember, horses particularly from the time I was probably three years old and first knew what a horse was. Um, and I grew up in a middle-class household. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad was an accountant. And they we were not wealthy people. We lived in a subdivision in central New Jersey. My parents were New York, New Yorkers. They had probably only ever seen a horse under a Central Park Ranger in Central Park, New York. These were not horse people. Um, but I had amazing parents that gave me the most wonderful upbringing and uh, enabled me to ride. And I've been riding and around horses since I was five. And my biggest dream in life was always to have them at home. And so I've always said that HodgePodge started there. But HodgePodge really didn't begin until um, I left my abusive husband. I was married to a man who was horribly abusive. And I think it's important that we talk about abuse for a minute because abuse doesn't always look like a lifetime movie. It doesn't always look like a woman who is shrunken and shy, covering up her black eye with makeup. Um, abuse is sometimes right there in front of your face. And most people who know me would tell you there's no way I could be abused. I'm, I'm rough and tough and I would never take abuse from anyone. But the reality is it can happen to any of us. And it did. It happened to me. And uh, I finally because my mom is amazing and helped me, I finally left. And when I left, it was an opportunity for me to take back the pieces of my life that I had given away, not just to this man, but in my career and in a lot of aspects of my life. I had left the Northeast um, to follow him. I had taken jobs where my greatest goal was to be the most successful, and I did everything that I could to be successful. And then I was told things like, well, if you would accessorize more, you'd be more successful. So I would give away pieces to go buy accessories or, you know, in my Which community. is ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> accessories should have absolutely zero to do with your abilities, but that is a very real statement. And worse. And worse. Yep. And we as women, we we hear these things. Um, and we we try to change ourselves, to morph ourselves to fit this ideal. And I think that that giving away those pieces and making changes to who you are inherently starts way before we're adults. Right? It happens when we're little girls where, you know, we want to be the rough and tumble girl. And People say to you, well, why don't you want pink things? Why don't you want sparkly things? You know what, guys? It's okay for little girls to like black or brown or blue. Um, we give away pieces when we are forced to wear dresses, when we're not comfortable in them, or when we're forced to shrink down 
to fit an ideal that belongs to someone else. And we do that. We do that for relationships. We do that for friendships. We do that in our careers. And in my case, I had done so much of that for so long, I no longer recognized who I was. And so, I mean, isn't that just a horrible thing that we do? Mm -hmm. But we do it unconsciously all the time. Well, we're Um, trained. We're trained to do it. We're trained to quiet our voices. And inside we are screaming. And and I think that that is where you probably had heard the screaming for too long and it became too loud. And that is when you said, I'm going to take back a piece of me one at a time. And that, that is exactly right. Um, I was trapped. I was trapped in a, in a job I didn't like and wasn't a good fit for me. I was trapped in a marriage that was awful. I was trapped in a lifestyle that didn't fit. And I was trapped in who I had allowed myself to become. Um, I read a quote this week that really shook me and that I wanted to share because it's exactly this. And it's what I'm doing now. It said, you deserve to celebrate not only who you've become, but who you could have become and fought not to. Oh my goodness. Wow. You read that this week? This week. I was meant to read that in preparation for talking with you. Wow. Wow. That just really shook me to the core. And I wonder how many people are hearing that going, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That's exactly it. And that's that moment. So when I, when I left, um, I rented the only house in the area that had a small barn and it was a horrible house, horrible house. Um, you clearly but, didn't rent it for the house. It was all about the barn. Anyone who knows me would tell you that I don't care what my house looks like. My horses are the most important thing. Um, and I brought my horse home and I'd had this horse. I bought him and uh, he was so important to me, but my ex-husband kept me from ever being really able to do anything with him, from seeing him, from having time for him. And he was very begrudging about Helios. And uh, Healy was the one way I kind of stood up to him while we were still married. But then I, I gave the pieces away again by not going and doing the things with him that I had wanted to do. So when I finally was able to taste freedom, I went, I'm going to do this what I the way I'd wanted to my entire life. And I brought Healy home. That's, and that is so special and so strong that you finally stepped out of quieting yourself, quieting your aspirations, quieting your voice, and you rented this nasty little house, but with a barn. So you could start living the dream that you've had since you were three. Yeah. That takes guts. <laughs> Huge guts. 
it was terrifying. Uh, of course it was because you stepped out of the, the quote unquote comfort zone that you had built for yourself, which really was just a prison, but you thought it was a comfort zone and you stepped out outside of that and went, I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to go do something I've always wanted to do. And yeah. you did. And I did. Um, and it, a few months later, um, my best friend in the world came to visit and we were sitting on the couch and I will remember this for the rest of my life. And, uh, she looked at me and she said, Oh my God, you're back. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, I don't know who you've been for the last 10 years, but you're back and I've missed you. And that moment was so significant to me because I had given away so many pieces of myself that I didn't even realize that the people who knew me best had watched me shrink down to fit somebody else's ideas of who I should be and give away so much that I wasn't even myself anymore. And I didn't even know I wasn't myself anymore. That whole period of my life is, is just a blur for me. It's, it's a 10-year period that I have very, very little memory of. And I think that's my brain's way of sort of protecting me from what transpired. But that was my moment of awakening to know I had finally done the right thing. I was finally headed in the right direction. And I was never going to allow myself to shrink down to fit somebody else's ideals again. And that's where HodgePodge was born. That was the day I said, I'm done. So you took back a big major piece of yourself and then you built HodgePodge. Can, and, and I love this story of HodgePodge. Uh, will you tell us what HodgePodge is? And I mean, it, it was born out of such a beautiful story of, a, of you finding yourself. Um, but HodgePodge is such an amazing story and such an amazing organization. And it's a manifestation of Lauren's healing. And it's just, I, I, I'm talking too much. Lauren, you tell your story. <laughs> um, so Helios was, uh, was, was the first, um, and Helia, we joke in my house, my husband knows this, my current husband, who I tell everyone is my reward for surviving my first marriage. Um, my husband is fabulous. And so, but he knows, this is how fabulous he is. He knows that the hierarchy of my life is my son, then Helios, then maybe him. Although <laughs> the, the other creators who call HodgePodge home might, might outrank him depending upon the day. Um so Helios was the first. Um, when I brought Helios home, I knew that horses are herd animals. I'm a very, very big believer that we need to listen to their natural instincts and they are never meant to be alone. And so my wonderful veterinarian uh, gave me one of his retired racehorses to keep Helios company. Um, and so Healy and Regal actually came home on the same day. And then we lost Regal to a terrible accident a few months later that that just could not have been helped. We tried everything to save him. Um, and that was really kind of the turning point for me to say, we need, 
you know, I have an opportunity here to do more and to make things better. And it was at that point that I started to understand more about slaughter and particularly horse slaughter. So in the United States in 2007, we eliminated the legal slaughter of horses in this country. So there had been three remaining horse slaughter plants in the United States in 2007, two here in Texas, one in Illinois, and they were shut down. Um, so and that I, was slaughter for the purpose of human consumption. That was slaughter. Not Americans have not consumed horse meat ever. What we were doing was we were either slaughtering and delivering to zoos. So a lot of your zoo animals eat horse. Um, oh, goodness. Delivering to pet food manufacturers and or shipping the meat uh, to other countries where they do consume horse meat. I see. Okay. Um, and so... And at that point, I sort of went, oh, okay, well, problem solved. Uh, turns out I couldn't have been more wrong. And so when Regal passed away, I started to do some investigation. And I learned that, in fact, what's happened, and it's been happening for the last 13 years since, is that instead of us slaughtering here on U.S. soil, what we do is we ship them across borders into Canada or Mexico where they are slaughtered there. Um, so, at, for example, as of today, they we have shipped from the United States 21,321 horses across the border in 2020 for slaughter in other countries. Wow. Um, that is a lot of animals that are crossing the borders. That is a lot of horses crossing the border for slaughter. That's a lot. Uh, on average, we ship uh, nearly 150,000 horses a year for slaughter across borders every year. That's staggering. It breaks my heart um, and it kills me. And, and the narrative that, that people will hear is that they're old or sickly or injured uh, when in fact that's really, that, that does happen. There are those, but um, we actually even have had Kentucky Derby winning thoroughbred horses slaughtered in foreign slaughter plants. That's a fact. That's terrible. That is terrible. Our greatest equine heroes, and we have allowed them to be slaughtered in other countries. And so I can't just sit by because it turns out that that's not who I am. And so I'm taking back that piece. And so I started um, investigating what I could do and what more we could do. And so we, um, we rescued a pony to keep Helios company, um, who is still with us 10 years later. And then my fear of if one of them gets hurt and we need to go to the doctor, okay, let's see what else we can do. And so we rescued, um, a, a, she's actually an Angora goat, but she looked like a sheep. Um, and then they, threw in a free goat with her. And so we brought Nana and Funny home. Rescue one, get one free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you hope uh, at least you get the good ones. Uh, it turned out in that case, we did not. Funny was not funny. He was awful. Um, but Nana was was a sweetheart and we adored her. And then um, it, the ball started rolling from there, really. And people, you know, friends that, that knew me, people I would talk to knew that we had you know, taken in some, some animals. And then we were, my divorce took three years to finalize. And uh, when it finalized, I bought a house on land with um, 
facilities that we would be able to continue our work and move out of that gosh awful house to a house that suited humans um, and have the animals <laughs> at the same time. Crazy concept. Um, and so uh, right as that was happening, another friend uh, said, hey, the Irving Animal Shelter got a goat. Could you take another goat? And okay, sure. So went to pick up this goat uh, who turned out was not a goat and she's a sheep. And so we had a sheep and then, you know, it just sort of snowballed uh, here and there. Um, yesterday we celebrated the five year gotcha day anniversary for two of our miniature horses, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, um, who were about five years ago, social media really got going with kill pens and so what happens is these horses that are going to be shipped across the borders are collected in some people call them slaughter lots some people call them kill pens um and they move around in auctions until they eventually make their way across the border and i knew enough to know that miniature horses ponies and and young babies are not supposed to legally be shipped to slaughter and so i went well how could they possibly be there and I looked it up and I learned that one of two things happens with them. They are either shipped on a separate truck across borders where then they are subsequently shipped to the slaughter plant because it is legal in other countries, just regardless of size. Or the other option is with them, they uh, use them for what's called live entertainment, which I don't understand how this could be entertaining to anyone, but they, uh, they put them in a cage with a big cat and people pay to watch. And that broke me. That's and, uh, just horrible to watch one animal maul another animal in a cage. I mean, that's horrible for both animals to be caged, but one to be destroyed by the other for entertainment. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand what kind of a human finds that entertaining, but I'm also the kind of human who drives miles across frozen fields to rescue a Canadian goose. So I'm probably not the yardstick by which she would measure those things. <laughs> um, so I, I, I saw these two pictures and the story that the blurb was that they'd been together their whole lives. And I looked at their feet and their feet were so horribly overgrown. I knew they were not able to walk. They would never be able to defend themselves. They would be separated. And so sitting at my desk at my very corporate job, I bought them on social media, having absolutely no plan, no idea what I was going to do, how I was going to get them home, nothing other than that. I knew I needed to do something. And I wasn't going to stand by and let them be separated. And I wasn't going to allow them to be someone else's disgusting entertainment. So five years ago yesterday, Fred and Ginge came home and I promised them that uh, they would dance again. And it took a lot of work. We have the most amazing farrier and our vet is incredible. And we are super, super fortunate. We have neighbors that are our best friends and our rescue partners who help us. And um, we got them spiffed up and we got their feet fixed and we got their ankles straight. And the day I watched them run across the field, I literally fell to my knees and sobbed because I'm doing it. I took back all the pieces that I'd given away and I'm doing it and they are here because I'm doing it. And that is amazing that 
that I can and I am. Some days I don't know how, but we do. We, we do. And this is the amazing part of this story that I want to make sure that I punctuate for everybody. Lauren took back the pieces of herself and what she's decided to do is rescue those that couldn't rescue themselves. We are, we advocate for animals because they don't have their own voices, but this is what I find so special about Lauren is that in her quest to become whole, she decided that she, it was her life goal, her passion, her desire to save those that couldn't save themselves. And that I think is such a testament to your character, but I also hope that it is an example of what could be of those women that are out there that have given away plenty of their pieces. What could you do? What could you accomplish if you took back some of the pieces? Maybe you would form a rescue. Maybe you would write a book. But the story here is that she was really brave and she stood up and she stood outside of that box that she allowed to be created around her and broke out of it and created something beautiful. Uh, Lauren, how would you advise women that are hearing this? And I know that this is resonating with people because the first time I met you, it resonated with me. As a matter of fact, that's kind of why this podcast exists because I was taking back a couple of pieces and wanted other women to be able to take back a couple of the pieces along the way. Um, What would you say to other women that are hearing this and are feeling inspired? What would you tell them to take, to start taking back some of those pieces that they've given away? I think it starts with recognizing the things that you are passionate about, but have sort of put on the shelf. And whatever the reason is that you've put it on the shelf, whether you had kids or you moved or you got married or your job is really, really stressful, what is the thing that you put on the shelf? And what is a small way that you can take it back off? Um, I have a, a friend one of my closest friends who had to have a career change midlife and it was something that couldn't be helped. And it was from a career that was very, very fulfilling and it was something that they were passionate about and could no longer do and said, well, how am I going to find another career that's equally fulfilling? And my advice to them is my advice to, to all of your listeners. It would be amazing to have a career that was so fulfilling and so beautiful and made the world a better place. Unfortunately, not a lot of us have that. We, we often do not get to tie those two things together. And we put all of ourselves into our careers and into our families. And then there's very little left. 
you need to find ways to carve out just that little bit of passion that you had, whether your passion is about getting women to engage with each other to make the world better for each other, and you start a podcast, or whether that passion is to do something creative. Carve out an hour of your day where you sit down and paint, or you make jewelry, or whatever the thing is that you're passionate about. In my friend's case, he was a teacher, and giving up teaching was something he couldn't fathom how to do. But you can be a teacher and have another day job. I am not passionate about my day job. I'm committed to it. It puts food on my table. It puts a roof over my horse's heads. It pays the bills most of the time. Um, and I give it my all when I'm there. But my passion is is hodgepodge. My passion is ending horse slaughter. My passion is making the world a better place. And so I carve out time away from my career and I take a little bit of pieces back from my family and I carve out time to focus on that. Whether it's this hour I'm spending chatting with you, whether it's the hours I spend outside scrubbing buckets and brushing manes or it's the money I spend to rescue another horse, that's the thing that fulfills me. And I can find fulfillment outside of my career and over and above my family. Every one of us is uniquely gifted. Janetta said it. She said, we are all born with the status of a champion. She's right. Your championship may be in a completely different topic than mine, but it's out there. You have to force yourself to find a way to your championship. Some days it's hard to do. Some days suck, but you can do it if you stop telling yourself that you can't. I got tired of everyone telling me I can't, so I just went ahead and did it. That's, I'm speechless, which is not easy for for anybody to do, by the way, because not only do I have a podcast, but I talk for a living. So Lauren, you made me speechless. Um, I hope... I hope that everybody heard that because that is such an amazing statement. And I hope that everybody that's listening makes a decision to take back one small piece, even if it's stealing an hour to go read a book, even if it is stealing an hour to do nothing. Maybe you decide to lock yourself in your room and read a magazine make the decision to take back one piece. And then once you take back one piece, maybe you can take back the next and the next. That's not selfish. That is necessary because you cannot be a functioning human being if you're only bits and pieces. You have to be whole so you can continue to serve those who are around you, whether it's your family or your job or your partner. You have to be whole in order to do that. And Lauren, thank you for very lovingly articulating that to us. And I am I'm grateful that you put it in such an eloquent way. Um, you know it's that time. It's test time. <gasps> I'm ready. I studied up all week. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
this I love giving this test because I'm I'm fascinated by the responses. Um and I my to read list is getting longer and longer by the week. So thank you everyone for the, those contributions. Um so number one, Lauren, what are you reading? So I am for the first time in my life, I'm reading three things at the same time, which I'm terrible at and is insane, but I'm, I'm doing it anyway. So um, for entertainment, I am reading the rhythm section because if Blake Lively made a movie about it, I figured it has to be good. I love her and her husband. So um, that's my entertainment book. Um, a colleague of mine gave me Glennon Doyle's Untamed. And I am zipping through that. It's probably the fastest I've ever read anything, but I absolutely love what she has to say because a lot of it resonates exactly what we've been talking about and what you've been doing on this podcast. Um, And then I read a quote from a horse trainer I follow who is on a journey herself and she is publicly sharing her journey and it's beautiful to get to participate in. And the quote shook me so much that I ordered the book immediately. And so I just started A Course in Miracles Made Easy by Alan Cohen. And um, I'm happy to share the quote because I think it's important. How do I contribute to end the suffering of humanity is the most important question you will ever ask. The answer to that question begins with your answer to the question, how do I end my own suffering? If you find your own way out of pain, you will know how to help other people out of their pain. Until then, your efforts are hollow. Um, Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, Three remarkable books to read. Um, The Course in Miracles might be one that I need to move to the top. So... Uh, I'll definitely put that on my to-read list quickly. Um, your, my next question is, what are you learning? What I am learning is to be satisfied. I have been a fiercely competitive person my entire life. I am so competitive. I'm competitive about being competitive. And... <laughs> That is a ridiculous and horrible personality trait, uh, just to be clear. And unfortunately, you can't always be the best at every single thing. And so I am learning to be satisfied with maybe not being the best at every single thing. Hodgepodge is not the big, big, big dream that I had for it yet. But I am learning to be satisfied with what I have and what I've done and where I am and who I am every minute of every day. And one day I'll master this lesson. I hope maybe. Well, if, if you can master that lesson, maybe you need to teach me because I'm also trying to learn how to be satisfied, but I think that goes along with taking back some pieces of your life Um, because we give those away and we give that, piece of us that's never happy away and it's self-destructive so i'm i'm with you in trying to learn that lesson i'm terrible at that lesson by the way i'm awful at it but it is something that i'm also working on uh every day so um if you get there first please give me the cliff notes because i would appreciate it fair away is uh (laughs) i think it's a lesson that we as women all need to learn and have a really hard time with. And I think it's because we are told 
our whole lives, we are not enough. We're not skinny enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not smart enough. At the same time, we're also told we're too much. We're too aggressive. We're too straightforward. We're too much, right? And so you can't find that sweet spot in the middle because it turns out that sweet spot's a lie. It doesn't exist. So until you create your own sweet spot where you are content with exactly who you are, you can't ever be satisfied. So satisfaction comes from the sweet spot and we each have to create our own. So that's an assignment to everybody. Find your sweet spot and go and expand it. So last question is what's next for you? Oh, so what's next for me is, is a lot of things. Um, Hodgepodge is, it's, it's relatively new in terms of our actual 501c nonprofit designation. So I'm navigating the waters of what all of that is. I'm learning about social media and marketing and all of those kinds of things, because obviously nonprofits are hundred uh, percent dedicated to fundraising, right? We don't succeed if we can't raise funds and I can't expand our mission unless I can raise funds. Um, fundraising is a whole new world for me. I am terrible at asking for help. It's the greatest flaw I think I have. And so I'm navigating all of those waters and it's not because I want to just rescue a hundred thousand horses a year. What I really want to be able to do with HodgePodge is I want to be able to create a national network of equine rescuers that work together to solve this problem. And it's a complex problem in our country, uh, factored into a lot of things. And over the recent times, I've also made the connection to a lack of diversity in the equine world. Frankly, um, there's a photo from a peaceful protest in Oakland that shook me. Um, There's a beautiful young lady on a gorgeous horse with her fist in the air and I had to know who she was and I had to know about her. And, um, and she, I researched her and she's incredible. And, and I learned something that I should have known all along. And, and it's that the access to the equine world for people of all kinds is extremely limited, if not non-existent. And, it shook me because my whole life of riding, I had never once bothered to notice that everyone looked like me. I never noticed. I missed it. And uh, when everyone looks like you, you miss it. So what's next is I'm going to hopefully get our, our insurance stuff set up and, and, and our facilities set up to start being able to give access to people who have never had access to horses some access and some lessons because there's magic there. And then maybe through this national equine network, I can get others on board and I can work with Brianna Noble, who's incredible. And we can create programs to make horses accessible to everyone. And in the process, we can save them all and stop killing them. So that's what's next. Oh, that's all. Just Just that. that. Yeah. Wow. Well, before I let you run, I want, to give you an opportunity for one final thought. There is many women that are hanging on the edge of their seat right now because you've spoken so much truth that is probably hitting home. So as a statement and a one final thought, what would you say 
to the audience. My final statement thought is this, whatever it is that someone told you, you cannot do, they are wrong. You can, if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. I'm living it. I know it's true about every single one of you. So stop listening to everybody else's voices. Take back all the pieces you have given away and just go do it. Lauren, that was beautiful. Thank you for making that statement because it is true. Um, Everyone, I hope that you have enjoyed this time with Lauren today as much as I have. Uh, If they wanted to look up your hodgepodge farm where could they go and see it we have a facebook page uh which is hodgepodge farm we have an instagram which is hodgepodge rescue we are working on our website uh we don't do twitter because i don't understand it and i'm still learning all this social media stuff we are going to be participating in north texas giving day uh in september And uh, we are also, uh, I'm accessible via LinkedIn. You can find my professional stuff there, but that's also another way to contact me if you're interested in anything about HodgePodge or anything I've said, anything that would help you start your own adventure. Thank you for giving us all of that information. I have no doubt that there will be some women that reach out to you and connect with you. And by the way, all of my guests welcome that. If there's any of my guests that, you'd like to talk to, connect to, please do so. Uh, Reach out to them on LinkedIn. They are anxious and honored for you to reach out to them and connect. And I'm so glad you are all doing that. Lauren, once again, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I have truly enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, Audra. It has been my honor, truly, truly my honor, because you are taking back the pieces and you're making your passion happen too. So it's a conversation between two women who are paving the way for everybody else to do it as well. I'm hoping we're trying to change the world one interview at a time and you're trying to change the world one animal at a time. So everyone, thank you so much for your time today. I have really appreciated you spending the time with me. And we'll see you again next time. That's our show. Before I let you go, I have some business that I need to get to. First, I want to thank my guests. I am continually awed at your generosity of spirit and the vulnerability that you continue to bring to our conversations. To you, my audience, you are incredible. Thank you for growing with me. And I hope that I continue to exceed your expectations. And to my team that helps me pull this off every single week. To our composer, Star Diva, who is amazingly talented. To Alan Bruckner, our graphic designer. Thank you for taking my crazy ideas and giving it life. To Savannah Boster, our social media manager. You do this so much better than I ever could. And last, but certainly not least... Our producer, my number one son, Gavin Agan. Thank you for supporting your mom with her dream. I couldn't do this without you, kid. Please follow us on our socials at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at arena underscore women. See you next week.
that's our show. I am so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is, that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world, please connect with me. You can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We'll see you next time.